Psalm 81. God is speaking here through the psalmist and he's addressing his people, Israel. And these are the words that he shares. And this pertains to Lori's story. It, it goes this way. Psalm 81, verse 13 says, Oh, that my people would listen to me. Psalm 81, 13. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would, would even pretend or would pretend obedience to him and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you, Israel, with the finest of the wheat, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. When the apostles uh, were watching Jesus, if you turn to the book of Daniel, watching his life, watching his ministry, watching his communion with the Father, finally, one of them said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach me how to pray. Teaching me how to pray means more than teach me how to say the right words to have the right posture. Teach me how to pray also means teach me how to listen. Teach me how to listen. Teach me how to be in communion with God so that I can be so tuned in to the things of the Spirit that I can hear your voice and I can understand how I am to walk. Oh, that my people would listen to me. I would quickly deal with their enemies. I would feed them with the finest things if they would just listen. Well, Daniel's prayer has been about that. Daniel had observed in the books, verse 2, Daniel 9, the prophet Jeremiah, the scrolls of Jeremiah, about the 70 years. We talked about that last week. And so Daniel gave his attention to the Lord, Daniel 9, 3, just by way of review. The Lord God to seek him by prayer, supplication, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed, verse 4, Daniel 9, to the Lord my God, and I confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. And then Daniel begins to own what the nation did. We have sinned. These are all the things that Jeremiah warned them about before the calamity happened. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We've turned aside from your commandments and ordinances. We have not listened, verse 6. To your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers. Notice the political leadership, the princes of the land, the elders of the land. They all got an earful, but they wouldn't listen. All the people of the land. It's very sweeping. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame. And Daniel begins to own what the nation did wrong. Daniel begins to confess the sin of his people. He begins to walk in the reality of 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. And I will what? I will heal their land. My, my ears will be attentive to prayer offered in this place. So Daniel begins to do what the book says to do, to pray. If you'll notice, if you skip ahead in verse 23 of Daniel 9, Daniel's told later, as it pertains to this whole prayer, at the beginning of your supplications, that word supplication means when you began to intercede, the command was issued, and I, says the angel, have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed to give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. 
At the beginning of your supplications, when you first started to pray, heaven already heard you. Sometimes when we pray, we, we doubt maybe that our prayers are effective. And sometimes we don't know how to pray. And even Romans 8 says, when we don't know what to pray or how to pray, even the Holy Spirit can intercede for us, right? We have a helper, and he helps us in time of need and when we even need to know what to pray or how to pray. And sometimes words don't even suffice. And that's okay. If you don't have words sometimes, that's okay. Because God knows the thought before you have it. He knows the word before you speak it. So sometimes just being quiet before the Lord is okay. Maybe just meditating on a Bible verse, a a promise, an attribute of God's nature is what you need to do. Just get before him. Amen? Just get before him and just say, Lord, I'm here and I just want to know you better. Now, last week when we ended, we ended at verse 9 of Daniel 9. And even with all of this ownership that Daniel is taking and all that Israel had done wrong, he says, to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. James, uh, I think it's 5.11, says the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. When you come to the Lord in honest sincerity, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what your thought process has been, no matter how far you've been driving towards the wrong destination, and you stop and you say, Lord, I'm wrong, help me. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He delights in giving loving kindness and compassion. Sometimes we have the wrong view of God. Amen? He's not just, you know, this God in the sky just waiting to discipline us when we take the wrong turn. No, no. The Lord is full of compassion. He delights to pour out his loving kindness, but he loves us enough to discipline us as well. And so the writer of Lamentations, most believe Jeremiah, says, this I recall, I I call to mind, therefore I have hope because the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In a book of lamentations, a book of lament, a book filled with weeping and regret over what was happening to Jerusalem in the destruction, yet I have hope because the Lord's compassions never cease. They never fail. They are new every single day of my life. All I got to do is tap in to the compassionate one's resources. Now Daniel goes on in the prayer. He says in verse 9, even though God is compassion, we, a compassionate we, so he's contrasting Israel with God, we, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, verse 10, to walk in his teachings, literally in his instructions which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel, verse 11, has transgressed thy law and turned aside, not obeying thy voice. So the curse has been poured out on us. Daniel's saying, we know exactly what happened. I know what happened. You gave us laws and we didn't follow them. You made promises for blessings and cursings and we followed the wrong path. Along with the oath, which is written in the law of Moses or the Torah, 
of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him, against God. Thus he has confirmed his words. God will always be true to his word, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us, <clears throat> excuse me, great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. Now, where was this written? This is in Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So the last book of Moses, go to chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. So the nation, uh, young in its uh, life still, in terms of coming out of uh, Egypt and so forth, got some warnings from God. Blessings and cursings, if you will. And this is... Uh, Deuteronomy 28, we're going to pick it up at verse 36. The Lord, Deuteronomy 28, 36, will bring you and your king, whom you shall set over you, so this is a prophecy, to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. Go down to verse 41. You shall have sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. And it shall come about, go to verse 63, <clears throat> it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. You shall be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it, 64. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. And among those nations, you shall find no rest. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but there the Lord God, the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of souls. Of soul. Now go, back, go to Deuteronomy 30. God continues to speak through Moses to the people prophetically, and he says these words. See? 30, chapter 30, verse 15, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. 30, 16. In that, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So would you mark it? So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. By loving the Lord your God, verse 20, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. The Lord made it very clear at the end of Moses' life, long before the setting of the book of Daniel. We're talking, what, a thousand years before the book of Daniel? about 1500 B.C., somewhere in there, that Israel had a choice to make and their life would be determined by their choices. Back to the book of Daniel. 
But here they are in Babylonian captivity, in a foreign land with foreign gods of wood and stone, uh, in a place that they didn't want to be. Why? All because they didn't choose life. They didn't choose to love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They didn't choose to teach their families to walk in the ways of the Lord. And Israel, of course, paid the price. And of course, the principle is true today. We are saved by grace, but we still get to choose what our life is going to be like. Amen? We still make choices as to whether we're going to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. And then we get to live with the blessing that follows with the walking in the ways of the Lord or the not-so-blessing the not if we don't. And so back in Daniel 9, verse 13, middle of the verse says, Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. Have you noticed that when you're off track as a Christian, you don't want to hear it? Because if you end up going to church or you turn on Christian radio, you've got to hear the truth. And when you're not walking the way you're supposed to, the truth is like fingernails on a chalkboard. It's what you need to hear, but sometimes it's so hard to hear because you know you're off track. And sometimes you're, you're driving in your car, heading for a destination you have no business being at, and some preacher yells at you in your car. Just resist! <laughs> that must be. No, that couldn't have been the Lord. Yes, that was the Lord. And the Lord knows where you are. He has the ultimate GPS system. It's called the God positioning system. He knows where you are 24-7. And see, don't see it as, oh, God is just some ogre trying to keep me from... No, God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to destroy your life. How many of you can look back to a moment of time and say, man, I wish I would have turned right instead of left 20 years ago. I wish in this moment I would have had someone who held my feet to the fire and told me the truth, even when I didn't want to hear it, because then I wouldn't have made this mistake that has now rippled out in my life. See, I know we'd have a line coming up here to tell our stories, because I have them. And I'm sure you do as well. So when God gives us truth, it's not to ruin our fun. It's to keep us in a place of blessing, in a place of walking in the best way we can walk. Throughout history, uh, you can think of Jonah's uh, ministry to Nineveh, even though he didn't want to go. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He laid aside his robe uh, from him. He covered himself with sackcloth. And sat on ashes, and God did not judge Nineveh because the king all the way down repented in sackcloth and ashes. You guys all know the story of Ahab. Jezebel corrupted Ahab. He had no business being with her, but he married her, and she was into the foreign gods, and she was a terrible woman, and she was an, an adulteress in every sense of that word. And here's what God said to the prophet Surely, 
There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. And it came about when Ahab heard these words, reading from 1 Kings 21, that he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring evil, bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Even old Ahab, after hearing truth, repented. God can reach anybody, anytime, anywhere. No matter how far you think you've blown it as a Christian, there may be people who are listening to my voice. You're, gonna, you're watching this on the internet. You may be hearing this on the radio. And you think, man, I've gone so far. There's no way I can get back home. That's just a lie. Even Ahab, who married Jezebel and <clears throat> corrupted the nation and caused so much to happen that was wrong, was brought back again. And so there's hope for all of us, especially as we think about God's love for us in Jesus and how he has reached down to us in that love. Therefore, look at verse 14 of Daniel 9. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous, Daniel 9, 14, with respect to all his deeds which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, Daniel continues, this is his prayer, and has made a name for thyself as it is to this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accord with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from the city, thy city Jerusalem, Turn away thy wrath, O Lord. That's what Moses said when two times he interceded for the nation of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to blot him out and I'll start over with you. I'll make a great nation from you. Now, if you were Moses, would you be thinking, man, yeah, they have been whining all this time in the desert. They're a bunch of whiners. Yeah, start over, Lord. That's a good idea. I mean, sometimes we're tempted, right? We get frustrated with people. We look at the world and we get frustrated. We get frustrated with other Christians. But Moses, in that moment, when the Lord said, just, just stand back, I'm gonna blot him out, I'm gonna start over with you, what did Moses do? Moses said, Lord, oh Lord, no. Lord, blot me out of your book, but save your people. Now, God knew what Moses was gonna do. The Bible says Moses was the most humble man that was on the face of the earth at that time. And Moses said, Lord, then take my name out of your book. But I don't want your name dishonored because the people's roundabout will say he led them out of the land of Egypt only to destroy them in the wilderness. And I care too much about the glory of your name. So blot me out that your name might be preserved. When you start praying like that, look out. Look out when your prayers start becoming about the glory of God. Watch out when your prayers start becoming about the glory of his name and not your, just your, your little world here. And I'm speaking to myself when I say this. And of course, the Lord he heard Moses' prayer and he did not blot them out. In Romans 9, Paul says, 
I tell you the truth, I'm not lying. The Spirit bears witness that I have continual, unceasing grief in my heart for my kinsmen according to the flesh for Israel. I could wish that I would be a curse from God for the sake of my brethren, Israel. See, Paul's prayer in Romans 9, 1 through 3 is really the same type of prayer that Moses prayed in the book of Exodus. See, this is the heart of God. See, this is the heart of an intercessor when an intercessor begins to even own things that they didn't do for the sake of the glory of the name of God. And that's what Daniel's doing here. We have no record of Daniel sinning. We, we see him you know, being faithful. We know he was a sinner, but we have no record of some egregious sin that he committed and yet Daniel keeps saying, we have done this. We have been, look at 15. We have sinned, end of 15. We have been wicked. Oh Lord, 16. In accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger, thy wrath, turn away from the city of Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, Zion. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. You know, sometimes... We can look at our family. Maybe you have, there's a part of your family that's in trouble. Maybe it's, maybe there's a bunch of fallout going on in some segment of your family. You know, oftentimes there's a segment of the body of Christ that we can watch that there's some, some not so good things happening. Sometimes we hear of a report of another church, right? And we hear something happened or a pastor had a moral fall and there's all kinds of fallout. And some of you, you know, you might be on the web and you, you begin to see the comments, you know, on social media. Oh, this place is a joke. Oh, they did this and that. And you watch the, the body of Christ falling apart. Why? Well, some of the things that are here, right? Uh, we, we can fall short. So Daniel's just praying. He's just, he's just saying, Lord, for the glory of your name, restore the city that you said you would write your name forever, Jerusalem. When you get to go to Israel, and I hope all of you will get a chance at some point in your life, Jerusalem is such a phenomenal place to visit. But, it is, but you'll be able to see in Jerusalem what's happened because of thousands of years of denying God's lordship. In fact, the city today is a token to unbelief, to be quite candid with you. Uh, we, were, we were there on a rooftop. We were overlooking the city, and there's a lot of different uh, religious uh, persuasions there, everything from Greek Orthodox to Muslim, all in this city. Uh, so many people trying to be packed into this little city. But the reason that it is where it is today even though with the miracle of them becoming a nation again in 48, recapturing Jerusalem in 67, the, the city is a token, a picture of the results of unbelief. You can, see it, you can see it in the physical makeup of the city, but you can also feel it in the spiritual environment around the city. There are places that you can go to today in the world that you will sense a darkness. You ever been to one of those places? You ever been to a house or a neighborhood and you're just like, man, there's something off here. There's something wrong. And that may be that you're discerning that there's 
some serious unbelief or dark things that have happened. This is not something to take lightly. So, he prays for your holy mountain, 16, middle of the verse, because of our sins, our iniquities, our fathers, Jerusalem, thy people, we've, we become a reproach. Look at where they were. This people that was the apple of God's eye, now in Babylonian captivity, where the Babylonians sit there and say, sing one of those Zion songs. We want to hear some of your worship songs. As they walk in, in basically, probably with nose rings, connected to a chain off into Babylonian captivity, as many of their loved ones have probably died in the land of Babylon, longing at least to be buried in the nation of their fathers, which was very important to the Jews. But in a pagan land, in a pagan environment, their, their God mocked by the Babylonians, our God stronger than your God. Look, we took the vessels of your God into our temple. How much mockery and ugliness do they have to live with? You see, sin will take us farther than we ever thought it would take us. That's why you have to be wise. And so now our God, 17, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications. Listen to my requests. And for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. O God, sometimes this is my prayer. O God, would you shine your face on me again? Would you shine your face in a dark place again? A place that maybe has been, you know, filled with desolation and unbelief and sin? Would you shine here again? Think about where the temple is right now. The temple is in utter desolation. It's been raised to the ground, burned to the ground by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. The nation's in a shambles. Imagine if it was your homeland. Imagine if you came back to your neighborhood. Imagine for a moment if for 70 years you were a young teenager. Let's say that you were 12, 13. And for 70 years you were carried off, let's just say, to Canada or Mexico. And your nation had been destroyed. And let's say you're in your mid-80s and you get to go back to the land. And let's say you come back to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. I'll really personalize this. And you walk back on these church grounds and this church has been leveled to the ground. And every church in our city is in rubble. How would you feel? What would you think about God, about your, your belief? What would your prayer be like? Would it be pretty raw? Would you be getting past all of the, the unnecessary stuff and be praying something like this? Oh Lord, let your face shine on this city again. We're sorry. Look what's happened. That's where Daniel is. That's what Daniel's praying. Rodney Stort says, Maturing in prayer is seen when we are concerned about the Creator's glory in our prayers and not the creature's comfort. Close quote. But I have to tell you that the books are flying off the shelves about the creature's comfort. And I, I like creature comforts. Do you? I like frozen yogurt. My own frozen yogurt, right? I like, I like where I live. I like that I have a nice car to drive. 
I like that I could go here or there. But in the end, my creature comforts are not what my faith is about. My faith is in Jesus Christ. That his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. Oh Lord, let your face shine on that desolate sanctuary that I long to see again. In the book of Numbers, the, uh, the great ironic blessing, turn there for a second because it applies to this language. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. This is um, Numbers 6. And this is uh, at the very end of the chapter. Something that you're all familiar with, I think. But it's worth looking at again in the sense of God's face shining again. The Lord speaks to Moses. <clears throat> he says in verse 22 of Numbers 6, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, to his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord, Numbers 6.24, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance on you and give you shalom or give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I then will bless them. When Jesus was getting ready to go back to heaven, one of the last priestly acts that he did was he blessed the disciples as he was departing. Write down for your notes, Luke 24, 51. He was blessing them and he may have had his hands something like this uh, in the way that a Jewish high priest would bless. And he was blessing them as he was going. I was listening to a uh, teacher who was saying that when the priest would bless like this, they would drop their heads so they would be, in essence, looking at his uh, feet that would have the scars from the nail that went through it. And they would bow in the blessing and then he was going up. Can you imagine that moment? And he's going back to heaven and he was blessing them. And you know, the Lord's face shining upon us, this same teacher said a good way, if you turn back to Daniel 9 to think of the languages. Have you ever, for those of you who have children, do you remember if they may be small right now, so this would resonate. You take your child and you raise them up like this and their face is aglow with life. And when you hold them up, it's like this face-to-face, -face, uh, you don't even need words. Now, you hope that they haven't eaten recently, because, but, but you know what I'm saying here. All the best thoughts here, right? You lift them up, and they're just, you know, kind of goo-goo laughing, and, and there's this face-to-face -face moment where there's almost, you could call it a, a shining. And in this sense, when the Lord wants, he says, pray this way. Look, the Lord's the one that gave him the prayer, right? So this is, this is his will, that his face would shine on us, that he would, his countenance would bless us. Here's what I want you to see, that oftentimes I think, and maybe we don't see God this way, but you are his child, and I think oftentimes he just wants to take you and just say, I love you. You're mine. I'm going to let my countenance shine on you. Just, just seek me. 
and you'll find the strength that you need. Return to truth. Return to me. Daniel 9.18, O God, O my God, Daniel 9.18, incline your ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. Sometimes we think our prayers will be heard better if we had a good godly day. If I read a few chapters of my Bible and I opened up that devotional that I get every morning and, and I actually looked at it and read it and I turned on worship music and maybe I tried to witness to a friend, my prayers have to be more effective that day than when I woke up growling and drooling and angry at the world or whatever. No, no, the Lord doesn't hear your prayer based upon your merits. He hears your prayer based upon the merits of another. Right? Our great high priest in heaven. Now, the Lord wants us to live a holy life, no doubt. And there are things that can block our prayer life, no doubt. But Daniel says, Lord, I'm, I'm not presenting this to you. I'm not praying these things on account of my goodness. And I think Daniel could, could certainly give his resume about how he had been faithful even in Babylon but on account of your great compassion. See, the Lord is compassionate. And so he ends the prayer by saying, verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For thine own sake, O my God, do not delay, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. In his two-volume commentary on Daniel Calvin has a 50-page discussion on this prayer in which he insists that knowledge of God's promises stirs us to prayer rather than merely causing us to become detached from God's actions. He goes on to say these words. The faithful do not acquiesce in the promises of God as to grow uh, tepid or torpid or lazy and become idle and slothful through the certainty of their persuasion that God will perform his promises, but are rather stimulated to prayer. For the true proof of faith is the assurance when we pray that God will really perform what he has promised us. Nothing can be better for us than to ask God for what he has already promised. And so we pray the promises. We go to our Bible and we say, Lord, this is what you have said. This is what you have promised and this is what I'm going to pray. And when we pray, heaven is enlisted. We can find help for today in our own immediate situation, but we can also find help for our political leaders, our missionaries, our sister churches in the city, organizations that are taking a stand for Jesus Christ, you see, when we pray and we seek the Lord, he hears and he wants to act. And that's the beauty of walking with him. Would you humble yourselves with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It teaches us about who you are, what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing. And one of the things that you told us to do is pray. Lord, we all would confess tonight that we could get better, we could pray more, 
We can be more effective, uh, spend more time. But in the end, I think prayer is about having your heart. And I know the disciples, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, it was because they watched you in communion with heaven. Lord, would you teach me how to pray? Would you teach me to walk with you, to hear your voice, to let my Bible be open as I pray, to be informed about your heart, to not be missing the mark with prayers that are about my own kingdom or something that I want, but let it be about what you want, Lord. Teach me your will, teach me your ways, said the psalmist. Teach me, Moses said, to number my days that I can present to you a heart of wisdom. And so, Lord, I just thank you for the precious people that are here tonight. I thank you that you're a God who hears us when we call. You're a God who uh, invites us to a throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. And thank you that our great high priest is in heaven. He has a ministry to his people today, a ministry of intercession, a ministry to dispense grace. So I'm going to ask you to take a few moments, brother, sister, seeking his face right now as we close this time. If you're not a Christian, the Bible calls upon you to uh, believe in the Lord, to trust him, his death on the cross, his resurrection. So if you don't know him yet, and he's called you to this place tonight, maybe something strange happened, and that's why you're here tonight, or you're listening to this, heed his voice, cry out, Say, Lord Jesus, be my Savior, my Lord. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead, and I'm going to trust you as my Savior, my Lord, my King, my intercessor. So, Lord, for those who are crying out, maybe those who are rededicating themselves, and for the church, your uh, blood-bought bride, the one that you love, the one that you died for, rose for, intercede for, I just pray you'd strengthen her, strengthen us to walk with you, Lord. We thank you so much for your great love, your great compassions that never fail. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.